Okay, I'll get the box, everybody. I imagine everyone is as nervous as I am about this, uh, this subject. Normally I'm not, but this is a subject that uh, I think for Schleitzach it deserves an appropriate um, nervousness about doing it properly, and uh, I hope we'll have Siafi Dishmaya to uh, bring out the Inyanim. It's unfortunate this is the matzah in Kalisol that we have to talk about these things. I have had hadracha over the years from, uh, from my Rebbeim and teachers how to do this. The issue of Shetzach, uh, of Indoshim um, Barabim, talking about these kind of Inyanim Barabim, the hadracha I've received is uh, that is referring specifically to Hadracha for Chasun Kala for their appropriate behavior. We don't do that Barabim. But this is in small groups like this, crucial. It's an Iker. Uh, I'll be honest, I'm always uncomfortable when I do it. And I think that's appropriate that I'm uncomfortable. So forgive me if I am, but I try to uh, bring it out as best I can in an appropriate fashion. I do ask that um, that if uh, and I'm very honest about this if anyone feels afterwards that there's something I've said that I could have said better that I could have explained perhaps less explicitly or more explicitly I was holding back and I should have said it more please, please tell me I, I handle all criticisms well. My email address is at the bottom. I do ask if you do the criticisms after next Shabbos. Just wait, give me a week to recover and then start sending the criticisms. I don't mind that. In the course of tonight, I think the best to Ellis would be if we could hold the questions in the course of what I'm saying to clarifications. I don't mind if someone needs a clarification about something I said that I haven't explained it properly, then by all means, please raise your hand and I'll explain it fully. If you're going to ding, ding it with me, if you want, which is fine. If you want to argue and challenge, let's leave that for another time um, because it'll interrupt the flow. But, but clarification I'm fine with. <coughs> What the, the structure of the, I left a few things out from the handout. This handout actually was um, when I repaginated it from uh, my page to the A4. I'm not sure what happened. I lost a few pieces. So you're missing a few pieces on your handout, but I will explain those as we go and we can fill them in. Uh, particularly the end piece. I, I don't know how I left that off, but the end, the, at the very end, you don't have it there, so it's pointless looking for it. But at the at the very end, there will be a whole piece. I just it just was off on when I re, reformatted on prevention. Like what do we do with prevention? You'll see that's glaringly missing. That was the last section. I felt prevention was appropriate at the end. Like let's get the sugya arois. What we're talking about dispel the. The notions and the get overall, you know, the the myths, and then we can talk about prevention. That would make sense. And even then, you'll see, I'm going to leave prevention fully for another session. So I think we need to digest first the chayma, the sugya, and then worry about. Okay, so what we're going to do? That's the second step. Many times when I've been into communities, and I'll give you just an example, I I realize I'm walking in to 
an environment of disbelief and denial. And that's natural. That's completely natural. I find it even in myself, who I'm treating and working with, you know, I'm working in the Olam Atom, I think everyone knows what I do, and it's 25 years I'm doing this now, and it even shocks me the extent and incidence of sexual abuse and how it's affected our world. And the denial of it, I think, is very, very understandable. It's a distasteful subject. And we all tend to want to believe it's not as bad as they say it is. It's not as frequent as they say it is. And this is obviously fueled by the facts we now know that no one wants to talk about it. Especially victims do not want to talk about it because they're so ashamed. So it feeds into our distaste and discomfort and into their incredible embarrassment and awkwardness and those two things collude so we ended up with, without really knowing much about it but in fact it underlies an awful lot about the real issues and problems we face as a community when I go into any community I'm asked by you know, uh, if I'll go work with I work in different cities, outside Lakewood my work in Lakewood is obviously I do, I'm a psychotherapist outside Lakewood I do work with various communities on all sorts of different levels of mental health issues and this is probably the most popular one that I do and it's the last one they think I'm coming to talk about I'll go into a community and I'll meet with the Ravonim in the community and um, very often I'm asked like, what do you think we need to know about and it's a very uncomfortable question to me because I know the answer is this, and yet no one really wants to do it. But this is the subject. And the disbelief goes so deeply that uh, at times I've been back into communities where I've spoken to the Ravonim in the community, and I know that I, I got the feedback that the reaction was like, what's his interest in this? You know, is he looking for clients? Like, you know, do you think like maybe he's a molester? Like, people say things that are incredible because they just can't deal with what is this subject so important to us. But it really is deeply important, and, um, and I hope to, to be able to explain that, and uh, that you'll see that, that in every, commun every from community there are people being, having lives destroyed and limited and redirected, unfortunately, in inappropriate directions because of this problem. This is, this is the key. What I want to do is this end up with the the purpose is that we should understand more or less the Rashi Prakim of this, and then we can decide what to do. Then we have to decide, I think you as a group have to decide, how do you bring this information to parents? What's the right vehicle? And I have some suggestions later on for how to do that, but I think that's different in each community. But that's what has to happen. There has to be that step taken where all parents of all children we'll work out how do we talk to our kids and be guided how do we talk to our kids. And this is not a simple thing at all because the evidence shows that a simple conversation of don't let anyone touch you doesn't mean anything. It doesn't work on its own. The kids will say they won't, many parents will not even explain exactly what that means because they're so embarrassed about the whole subject. And many, many kids will say, you know, okay, but they'll do something completely different because they're so terribly embarrassed to even go and tell their parents. They don't know how to overcome that barrier. One of the most fascinating studies ever done about the prevention issue, and just to, so we can understand why it's important, I'm just saying this so you can understand why it's important that you, you need to sit down and really think deeply about how we're going to bring this to the people in our community. Years ago, Disney, the company, 
was hired by, I'm not sure who, it could have been the federal government, I forget who it was, and they spent millions of dollars creating a cartoon video that was meant to be used, the state of the art, for prevention of sexual abuse in children. And they made this thing, it was called Bob the Bus Driver. It was Bob the Bus Driver, and Bob was a bus driver, and it was a little yellow cartoon bus, and Bob, unfortunately, molested the kids, the cartoon kids, on the bus. And the video explained how he went around the back of a building, and he shouldn't be alone on the bus, and it was a very well done, crafted, worked with professionals together. They spent millions of dollars doing this, and they started doing Bob the Bus Driver. Some years later, and it went through various cities had used this, and you know, school systems had used the Bob the Bus Driver video. Years later, someone, and I don't remember how this happened, but some research psychologist was doing some work on looking back and long-term research of where the incidence of sexual abuse was more or less, which communities seemed to have a higher incidence, which a lower incidence. Can we learn something from this? And in this study, they discovered that the incidence of sexual abuse turned out to be higher in communities that had used the Bob the Bus Driver video, not less, which they found rather fascinating, considering that was meant to be the communities that were being helped with the problem. So then they did a very interesting research study on Bob the Bus Driver to find out why this had happened. And what they discovered was, which we all realized afterwards, was like Dover Poshet, is that children think very simply. And if you show them a video of Bob the bus driver, their molesters are called Bob and they drive buses. There's no other molester. If, it's not, if you have Bill the bus driver, you're safe. If John's your bus driver, you're fine. It's only Bob's the bus driver is a problem. And so what happened was, it, they actually realized that when you isolate too carefully what it is, then you've actually created not just a false sense of security, but you've distracted children from what the real molestation could come from, and you've actually harmed them. And the incidence was higher where they used Bob the bus driver than lower. I bring this as an example of how sensitive the issue is that there needs real hakshav, you know, really to think through, okay, how are we going to do it? We're not going to do this to be yotza. We're not going to tell the parents in a way, you know, we don't offend parents, we don't upset, but we, of course we don't want to offend or upset, that's partial. But we cannot compromise doing the job properly because we're so worried about offending and upsetting. Because if you don't do it properly, on the contrary, you may actually make it worse, not better. So I bring that as an example for why it's important, I think, to take the information, sit on it, spend a few weeks analyzing chew it over and then the set, next step should be okay so now what should we do how should we bring that, this into our community now we've, come, we've got used to the ideas that's why I've separated it I will give some recommendations but I do not recommend this is what you implement now in your community you have to think of the uniqueness of your community and how to bring this in that next step my clinical work I just want to describe how I got into the sugi when I started doing psychotherapy, I had no clue other than what we learn in, you know, you learn a course on sexual abuse. I, I, like everybody else, didn't know it happened in our community. I wasn't aware of it and didn't think it was even that important an issue. <coughs> two things changed the course of my life within my work, and nowadays there's only two areas I do clinical work in. I work with Scholem Bias, it's half of my work. 
and the other half is everything and anything to do with at-risk teenagers, struggling teenagers. These are the two areas I do. When I started doing the, um, the teenage work, so uh, we, we started doing research. We, I, I don't know if you remember the Jewish Observer in, uh, I think, in the in ni- 90s somewhere. I, I forget which year it was, 89, I think, or 90, put out the famous Kids on the Fringe. That was hotly debated. Was it right? Was it wrong? Should we have done it? Shouldn't we have done it? I, I want to tell you how it happened. It, it happened because um, uh, a very noted Mechanech, uh, a dear friend of mine, wrote an article. The Jewish Observer in those days used to bring out like a gray box where they would highlight a point they thought was important. And they brought out a point, and they said this point, that the overwhelming consensus of children going off the derech is caused by dysfunctional homes. Parents and the, the dysfunctional families. Now, we knew the clinicians in the field, this wasn't true. We didn't know what it was exactly, but we certainly knew that wasn't true, because the fact was we knew many, many wonderful homes with kids off the deck, and we knew many dysfunctional homes with kids very much on the deck. In fact, what we discovered was that most families who had kids off the deck, that most of their kids were not off the deck. The, the meat was. So if the dysfunction of the home caused kids to go off, how come it only caused the meat, not the majority? So the whole thing was ridiculous. But the problem with allowing that statement was that we fooled ourselves into not actually trying to work out, so what is it? Like, what is the issue? So I wrote to, I'd never written before in my life, and I wrote a letter to Jewish Observer with a colleague of mine challenging that notion and saying it's just not true and it's misleading and it causes more people to go off the derrick because if parents believe it's their fault or if publicly they're stigmatized into believing it's their fault well they're going to micromanage their kids much more to stop them going off which actually causes them to go off much quicker so the whole thing was agrophic it was ridiculous and we challenged them the response was incredible because letters came from everywhere disagreeing with us no, it's the, I know, every family I know who got a kid off the derech is a dysfunctional home. Well, what we realized later is that with a kid off the derech, that will dysfunction a home. That doesn't make a home dysfunctional. Because once the kid is off the derech, your home is in dysfunction. So that's when they present to a person, a robber, a therapist, a mechanic, gets the family when they're in, oh, they're a dysfunctional family. Well, that's obvious, because they're already off the derech. But what came first? And then we realized the whole thing was ridiculous, so we wrote back very stark, extremely upset. And then Jewish Observer got so many letters, they asked us to do that edition. I think I had three articles in that original one. And that started us doing research. And one thing we realized is we have to stop with boichsvars. We have to stop with just like guessing at things that are so important to our families and our communities. We have to do research. We have to really think this thing out. So originally, we ran some conferences, which I, I had co-chaired. I think you came to one of those, am I right? We ran these conferences that were really think tank conferences to try and work out what's going on. What is it? And then we started doing research. There's in, the, in the back, there's an appendix in the back of the handouts. This came from one of the, um, the book on children in crisis, an early intervention screening form, where we actually identified 27, is it 27? It should be, yeah, 27 risk factors. These are the 27 risk factors, which we knew were Nagaya to after-death kids. And we went and interviewed. And I went out there on the road. I went out to Israel. I went around America. And I sat with hundreds and hundreds of kids off the derech. 
and I got I, I created a form if you can imagine a form with nine columns on it nine double columns it, it, for our purpose in America it was primary first second third fourth fifth sixth seventh eighth nine columns and each one was split into two and the columns said there were boxes down the columns and 27 risk factors along the bottom and the columns were divided into uh, experienced and responded. And the questions we asked, I sat and asked, yeah, I explained to them the risk factors, these that you see on this form. And then I would ask them, so let's say divorced. Your parents, were your parents divorced? Okay. When did you experience that? Which grade were you in when your parents got divorced? And they would check off, you know, second grade, my parents got divorced. And then we'd ask them, when was the first time, what grade were you in? when someone responded to that and helped you with your feelings about that problem. A health professional, a, a counselor, a Rebbe, a teacher, someone sat down and processed your feelings about how are you coping with the divorce. A child had, was diagnosed with ADD. Well, they had that from the beginning, attention deficit disorder. When did you get treated? When were you first diagnosed? So we'd start getting a sense of when do problems happen and when were they responding? That was one of the things we were looking for. We were also looking for incidents. What was the incidence of these 27 risk factors in hundreds and hundreds of kids? Now, this is not really hard science, but it's the closest thing I've had to it. You know, you have to do blind studies to really, you have to get regular, so to speak, highly functioning children and go and do the same thing with them, which no one's going to let us do, understandably. So it's not really truthfully hard science. It's not. Because you need a blind study and a comparison to see. So I'm not, I'm definitely not claiming it to be really good science, but it's not bad. When we got the stuff, I, I interviewed hundreds of children. And what, what we had theorized was any child that has two or more of these risk factors on this list has a better than 50% chance of going off. That's what we found out, which is really sad, but really good, because it meant that if we could identify them early on, in the early grades, we could get some of these kids with two risk factors. We know they have a better than 50% chance of going off. Let's bring them services. Let's get involved in their lives and see if we can help them and prevent them going off, which was the use of that form, and it became profound. I have many schools that use that form, Caseda, and they do it two or three times during the years. And it's very quickly and easily done. And you can get so much good information, you can really save lives. Here's the problem that came up. The first thing was that there was a disparity. We realized when we added up all the different risk factors, when they occurred and then when were they responded to? When, were they treat when did treatment begin? The average disparity of hundreds of children, I think originally it was something like 170 children we did in the first, the first batch. The average disparity was six and a half years. Now imagine six and a half years carrying sorrows of some tremendous problem in their life that interferes with their ability to function for six and a half years in a life that, so to speak, starts at five years old when they engage the school system up until 13. That's most of their lifetime. It was an enormously devastating you know, reality that we realized, but the worst was to come. Because the worst to come was, what was the, high, the ranking of the risk factors? The number two risk factor was attention deficit disorder. And that was at 42%. That means 42% of all the children reported their ADD, and all the other risk factors on the list you have, the 27 risk factors except for one, were below 42%. So you'd find different, you know, diff different risk factors clustered below 42. One risk factor was at 80, 80%. And 80% was sexual abuse. 
And we were all absolutely flabbergasted when we first got this information. When I first talked about it, no one believed me. Actually, they misquoted me. They started saying, Russell says that 80% of all children in the film community have been sexually abused, which I never said. They, I'm misquoted all the time. And actually, that's why I tape myself, so that I can actually afterwards say I didn't say that. What I said clearly was, 80% of children who've gone off the derech report sexual abuse which probably means that was the factor, the covea. So we started trying to analyze why it was the covea. What, I mean, it was double the next one, which was uh, ADD of 42. It was a real shocker to us to realize this. And then I'll tell you an example. I went, there was a school years ago. It doesn't exist anymore. A lot of these schools that cater to these kids only last a while because of the burnout. I mean, I myself ran a seminary for 10 years, a tikva, for girls who were off the derech, girls from from homes who were at that point... 18, 19 years old, Mechalei Shabbos, Eichel Tarfis, sexually active and doing drugs. That's the ones we took. And we had tremendous success rate. We just ran out of money, unfortunately. So we, we closed. And the burnout is very high in these schools because it's such a difficult population. One of these schools was in Svat. And I did this, actually I did this um, piece of research with these kids in Svat. When I was there, there was about 13 or 14 kids in the room. And they were a tough, tough-looking boys, really tough-looking bunch, all American kids. Well, actually not true. There were a couple of Europeans. Um, they were, you know, angry, bitter. Many of them didn't have a yarmulke on, baseball caps, tattoos, many facial and body piercings. Um, a, a rough, tough group of kids. One of them in particular, I remember when I walked in, was a bodybuilder. So this kid was wearing an undershirt. He had a load of tattoos down his arm, piercings all over. I'm telling the kids from, from Hamish are families. You have to understand. It's very shocking when you see it. Nowadays, see, I know, once I see it, it's sexual abuse. I know of any suffix. I understand why that is a reaction to sexual abuse. Then, of course, none of us under, we don't understand anything. It's like, well, why do they rebel like that? What's the, what's, the, what's the facial piercings about? Why do they have those earrings and nose pins and all this tongue rings? What, what's that all? Now we understand it all. It makes a lot of sense. In fact, it's heartbreaking how much it makes sense once you get the sugya. And as I walked into this group to do this research, I put my hand out to shake hands with the first kid, just to say, Shalom Aleichem. The kid whacked my hand away, slapped it away, and let me know I don't go near rabbis and slap my hand away. Later on, I understood why, but I didn't understand then. Anyway, don't take any of this stuff seriously. Sorry? The, uh, the Manal, I got this guy to open the school. He was a Rebbe somewhere else. I saw what he was doing. I begged him to open a school because he was so good at this, but a natural. So he got his boys together, so to speak, and convinced. I think they bribed them with food to come and speak to me. They bribed them with food, or they wouldn't have come. Are we doing the same thing here? Uh, okay, all right. But the Mesa, the Mesa, they came, and, um, and they were there. And this guy was the whole time chaffering with me. Okay, what are we going to get, Rabbi? Bovacomer? What are you going to teach us? Bovacomer? You know, they're like trying to tease me and uh, get me. I ignore this stuff. I actually, it just makes me a more achmanus. The more they do it, the more pain I feel for them. And they settled down, and we went through the list. When we got to the bottom of the list, in the last section, because there's child risk factors, family risk factors, then there's environmental risk factors, and sexual abuse was the first one. And I mentioned sexual abuse. 
the whole place have been kibitzing with me the whole time about these different disorders, what they are. Yeah, I got that. You know, I got, yeah, you got that TMI. They tell stories about their, you know, this clinician, they fooled that one, and I put my, my riddle in, I put it in my Rebbe's drink and made him better, and, you know, I'm not going to take it. You know, there's a, they would make fun the whole time, and I hit the subject of sexual abuse, and it was like I threw a light out. This happened in another school, Kesher in Yerushalayim. It's another one of these yeshiva and I'll tell you about that too. But it was mummish incredible. I mentioned sexual abuse, and it was quiet suddenly. And not only that, but everyone started looking down at their forms. They're filling in very, very quietly. And I realized something was happening. I think they all did. We all felt the feeling, the mood had changed suddenly. And I was very soft, and I waited, and I described, I gave a little class on sexual abuse, what it covers and what it is, as best as I knew. And it was dead silent in the room. And then one of the kids looks up. They're all covering their eyes. These are like these rough, tough boys. It hadn't dawned on me. They didn't never even discussed it with each other. They never talked about it. It was too embarrassing and painful. And then one kid looks up at another, catches another kid's eyes, and says, like, you too? And the kid nods. And you too? Another kid nods. Turns out every kid in that room had been sexually abused. Every one of them. Then I describe what the abuse is. I'm, I'm tingling as this is going on. I'm, I, I'm, I'm actually, t- I was tearing up because it was so painful. This whole transition from this, you know, bravado, rough, tough, you know, this weightlifting muscles and all the rest of it, to these kids just crying, sitting there shaking and crying. Anyway, this big kid at the end, I finished the thing, and this big kid is sitting there pouring down with tears coming down his face and he's just bawling holding himself together and I finished the thing and the atmosphere you you can't imagine what it felt like in the room and he looks at me and he said the following statement I'll never forget it and said to me Rabbi I have a question I said okay he said amidst tears he said do you mean all this that I've been through wasn't my fault do you mean it wasn't my fault and I said to him, yes, it wasn't your fault. It was really... Anyway, he, um, I looked at him, and I said to him, you know, you look like you need a hug, which is a very dangerous thing to say to a kid who's been sexually abused. But I took a risk. It just felt right. And he said to me, from you, I'll take it. And I held this kid, and he just cried and cried on my shoulder. This tough, rough kid who wouldn't even touch me is crying away. All the kids in that room were sexually abused. And none of them even had an inkling or had never discussed it with each other. What it was, why it happened, because their own pain was so intense and deep, they couldn't deal with it. I was that uh, that or another trip by Kesha, another school. Same thing happened. Kids, they they kibitz with me. They bribed them to talk to me, by, and they, they didn't want to talk to me. The kids. So I said, I got to deal with you. I said, I know the principal, the oh, the manal of the school is my friend, Rabbi Shon. I said, I'll tell you what. I said, here's the deal. I'm going to ask you all one question. That's all. If you want to answer the question then you can stay and talk to me. And if you don't want to answer, you've got the day off. Go to Ben Yehuda and party. Have a good time. 
this in Yerushalayim. So they're right, oh, they're all high-fiving each other. This is like marvelous. We're all out of here, and you know they're all planning what they're doing this afternoon. Okay, what's your question? What's your, what you know, Bava come again? Bava Mitzia, let's hear. What's you know? They're all gonna you know they aren't gonna answer this question. Then we're out of here, and uh, it's noise and action and whatever. So I said to him, I'm here to discuss one subject with you. And the subject I want to talk about is molestation, sexual abuse. I want to discuss what happened to you, if you'd like to talk to me about it. As I said this, I'm telling you, it's like a light switch goes off in the room, and everyone shuts down. The whole place shuts down. And of that group, only two of them were not abused. All the rest of the kids in the class were abused. They were abused victims. And again, they never discussed it with each other. And they stayed with me for four hours. We had a four-hour <laughs> session with these boys where they couldn't talk enough about it. As a matter of fact, I met them later, later on that night in one of the dorm rooms. I went to their dorm where they put the lights down and passed out a few beers. And we sat talking the whole night through. And they all came to me, with me to the Kaisel for Shachas. We dove nates together at the Kaisel because they felt, I said, you know, boys, let's start a new direction. You've had some healing. Let's start a new direction. And the whole group went with me to the Kaisel, and we all dovenates together at the Kaisel. Sexual abuse, even the kids it happens to don't even know that's what's happened to them. Kal ben benosh, kal as, where we're so dis, you know, disconnected from the whole thing. So, my experience started with this experience with the off the derech kids where we realized so many of them have been abused the incidents were so so great and it turns out to be the underlying reason kids go off the derech is sexual abuse and I'll explain later why that's so what's the connection like why does that make them go off the derech and I'll explain exactly why that happens later on in the Hashem the second thing that happened to me is that I was doing marriage work Sean Bias work 